Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode two of season five of This Osteopathic Life. We are back on the airwaves and engaging in this new season, season of the podcast, yes, and what feels like a new season here in northern Michigan. It feels as though spring might have finally decided to arrive, and there's a little bit of hesitancy, a little bit of fear, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, fear and failure. And not necessarily the leading topics and title of a podcast that is focused on being for the health of all things and perhaps exactly where we are meant to be. In any case, as I shared, it has really turned a corner as far as weather is concerned. Just a week ago today, it was freezing and rainy and quite unpleasant. And today is absolutely glorious. Now, I really feel that I embrace all seasons and find comfort and joy, ease, engagement in all of them. And for the most part, do my best to make the most of the one that we are in. And winter was quite curious because it was hit or miss, even in so much as it wasn't very wintry. And at some points you're thinking, just bring on the snow. Let's go with what is meant to be happening right now and notice that experience, an expectation of how winter should be. And then if it doesn't show up in that way, it feels like a disappointment or a frustration. Now, if I had to pick a favorite season, I think most often I would pick fall. But in this moment and on this day, spring really is taking the lead in the race to that finish line of favorite seasons. Now, given my penchant for swimming and open water in Michigan, summer could also hold a spot there. And so really, I think my favorite season is the one that I'm in and the beauty that it offers. And I will offer up that sunshine and blossoms are most welcome after what seemed like a very prolonged winter. Given that it snowed, about a week ago, and we are on the 10th of May. Currently, I think we could put long winter in the fact line (laughs) if we're considering uh, the story, the narrative of our lives. And so today, I embraced the niceness of the day. I have made a goal for myself to bike out to the lighthouse, which is somewhere in the 40 to 45 to 50, depending on which route you take, mile excursion up the peninsula that traverses the space between the two bays and really bisects the Grand Traverse Bay into the east and west portions. And it's interesting because it seemed this enigma to me. I would begin this bike ride and I would get about 12 miles out and there's a convenient turnaround at a lovely restaurant at around that 12 mile mark from my home. And I would often make that turn and come back thinking it's too far. I don't have enough fuel. I don't have enough time. All those enoughs. And finally, Almost a month ago now, it doesn't seem that long ago, but it was about a month ago, I decided today was the day. And barring any mechanical or technical challenges, I was going to make it. I took fuel with me. I had the time carved out. And as it happened, that window of time actually narrowed, but I still was able to complete the journey on one of the shorter courses, one of the most efficient pathways out there. And I made it up and out to the lighthouse and back. And as soon as I did, I thought, why did that seem 
so difficult. And so many times we have that sense, that daunting of an experience when we haven't completed it, we haven't met a goal we have set, it can seem nearly impossible. And then once we do, we realize there are so many fewer obstacles in our way than we might ever have imagined. And many of them were internal but we put them in front of us as if they were a boulder or a flat tire. And I'm speaking that out loud, but I'm not speaking into existence because I really do hope. I set a goal. I thought about making it weekly or averaging weekly or maybe four times a month over the summer months to make it out to the lighthouse and back and trying the different pathways out and determining which one feels the best. Looking right now, I might put this at right the you know most achievable goal, maybe once a month from April to October. We can put that out there. And here I am two months in, right? You can prove that. And then you can layer on and say, and ideally, I'd love to average weekly getting out there from May until October. And then you might think, maybe there's a little more grace if I say four times a month because there's a little more wiggle room in there. And I was thinking about that (laughs) the other day when swimming laps and the interesting nature of how months are distributed and how some have these extra days. And what would it be like if every month had 28 days and we kept on that rhythm? And then I thought, how sad for those who are born on the 29th, 30th, 31st of the month. So let's not do that and change their birthdays. And that's what might happen in a brain when it is counting laps, swimming back and forth in a pool. So I very much look forward to the approaching swim season when those strokes can be taken outside and I'm not looking at a lane line and completing flip turns in the scope of thinking can expand beyond assessment in analysis of the current calendar. In any case, lovely day. And I really intended to take the easterly route out to the lighthouse, which would keep me on the margin of the water of East Bay the whole way out. And still, I looked at the map and I looked at the turns and I knew I was on the wrong road. And I looked around and I thought, this doesn't seem right, right? I'm much more inland than I thought, but I don't remember seeing a junction where I could have turned. And here I am and it's okay because there's a wide shoulder, but also there's many more cars in higher speeds of traffic traveling. And it simply wasn't the path I expected to be on. And I thought, well, I know this will get me to the lighthouse. You can almost not get lost ultimately, right? On the grand scheme of things, the big vision of the where you expect to end up because you keep going north and there are bodies of water that are helpful to guide you. And a sun, right? This was early in the morning. So the sun was very much in an easterly direction. So it gave me those bearings. And I did at one point stop and I realized I had indeed missed a junction and it was almost too far to turn around, right? It would be almost a six mile recon. So I said, well, we can make it third times the charm and I will manage to stay on that easterly route the third time. And it brought me back in that moment to early days of physical assessments, physical exam in medical training, in medical school, and thinking about when we were practicing clinical skills on one another, I still think about that Congo and Dr. Dupuis, my C-Skills partners, and we made the front of the state news (laughs) talking about that experience many, many, many years ago, right? 20 years ago. Hard to believe at times that's where we are. And we were listening to the heart. And our job, the expectation for us as first-year medical students was to be able to hear it, right? (laughs) Auscultate the heart, hear a sound, and then begin to get a sense of what sounds normal. So you listen to all these relatively healthy hearts in the room, you know, young people without cardiac conditions for the most part, and you would hear normal heartbeats and heart rhythms, and in general, a lack of pathology. Now, someone might have a benign murmur, and then everybody would gather around to listen in. 
And we would begin to notice something wasn't normal. It wasn't as we expected. It didn't fit the pattern what we had heard in the past. And we didn't necessarily know what that meant, right? And that's where we grow into. That's where the amazing physical exam skills of a cardiologist and a diagnostician with many years of clinical experience can say, right, this sound means this. But the first step is that's not normal. And we were encouraged that that was actually a really great place to be, to listen to something or to look into an ear, right? And to say, well, I'm not sure what's going on here, but I know it doesn't look like the average ear that I've been trained to see or the average heart to which I've been trained to listen. And that can be the jumping off point. So noticing that the power of recognition and pattern assessment and honoring that something isn't quite what you expected, it doesn't fit the pattern, doesn't fit the mold, it doesn't have to make it wrong, right? There can be benign noises that the heart makes or ways that you can look that don't necessarily mean there's some urgent pathological condition that needs to be treated. But it can offer us the space to dive deeper, to examine, to gain more information. Maybe it leads you to obtain an EKG or an echo or additional studies, or you use a different tool. Maybe you have a highly advanced otoscope that you can look into the ear and gain a greater sense of what the specifics are. Or you seek consultation from someone who has more knowledge and experience. And as a first-year med student, it's pretty much everybody (laughs) in the medical space and even in any specialty, right? There are those who are more specialized in a certain way and can offer you their expertise. But it requires you to recognize that something isn't quite right here, right? And I don't know enough to make an accurate assessment or treatment, and that's okay. That's not a failure, right? That can be a space of gift and opportunity for the patient, for yourself, to gain more knowledge. I remember one of my mentors would talk about sometimes sending patients with a different pathology, maybe something that was unusual to them, to the physician, right, also to the patient, and they would send them to a center such as the Mayo Clinic or the Cleveland Clinic to gain awareness. And obviously, this is for the patient, so they can get information and have a diagnosis and an appropriate treatment plan, and gathering that back as a referring physician to be able to say, oh, okay, yes, I did notice this. And now I have context for what it is. And with these different pieces of information and the different studies and the perspective of these specialists, I can now have new context. So when I do hear something or see something unusual, I can begin to put it into place. And now there's a tendency to want to make it fit, right? So he wants to categorize things into the boxes that we have. That's normal. That is natural human behavior, And sometimes they don't fit. And sometimes we really smush them in there. And we say, look, this is the box that I have. And so this is what has to go on. I picture mailing items. I mailed a package to some friends recently. (laughs) And I had a certain number of items. And I could have removed them, but I really wanted them all to go. And so I squashed them in. And it's one of those flat rate boxes, which flat rate also means the box needs to be flat. And I don't think literally that's why it's (laughs) written that way. But I was advised by the clerk at the postal office that, you know, it's not meant to be bulging as it were. (laughs) And I taped it and I was happy to pay extra and they were very kind and helped accommodate. But I think about this is the container I had, so everything must fit in here. And that can work for a care package. That doesn't always work, right, for all these different areas, arenas in our lives. So checking in for what might not be as you expected. And we use the word normal in medicine, right? So we have normal and we dictate that. We have that in our notes, right? Dictate the normal. That was one of the favorite right, catchphrases in the days of dictaphones and transcriptionists where you had a normal physical exam. There were the things 
that if there were no underlying pathology or abnormalities or derangements, right, this is what it would be. Normal is the word that we use. And we could challenge that and flip that on its head and make it its own podcast episode or series. And then we would say, right, in this category, we insert this because it doesn't meet the criteria for being normal. And if we're going to allow ourselves to use that word for the sake of this discussion, this engagement here, what in your life isn't normal? And let's consider that as isn't how you expected it to be or doesn't fit the picture and doesn't fit into any of the categories that you have available to you. What do you do with that? And notice we're talking about fear and failure as the opener to this episode and thinking about this idea that if I see something not as normal but don't know what to do with it and can't fix it and can't categorize it, I have failed. And instead offering to yourself that you have absolutely not and you have actually succeeded in being able to notice it. Because so many times we are going through our life unaware and many things are happening that might not be normal, might not be appropriate, might not be what we expect, might not be healthy or sustainable. We don't even notice because we're swimming in it. And so to be able to step back, pull back and say, you know what, something's not quite right here and check in with what can bring you into that space. And it often is a frame of reference. And so if your frame of reference has been in a land of not normal things, it can be hard to spot it, right? So if you have only ever heard heart murmurs, right? you don't even know what the normal lub-dub S1-S2 offers to you, what it should sound like. So giving yourself the chance to have a frame of reference for something that is normal and neutral, let's go with that, right? And that's an osteopathic word as well, a neutral, where it can give you a baseline, And as I shared with you last week, as I was working through the music baseline, and I'm saying that (laughs) B-A-S-E-L-I-N-E, but I hear it is B-A-S-S-L-I-N-E as I head towards cello ensemble later this evening. And just thinking about what it means to have that foundation, to have a reference point and check in with your sources. So what are you allowing to be your guidepost, to be your midline? From what are you deviating and orienting and checking with that? because that can lead you astray. And so as you're making these assessments and becoming more of an observer and gaining the capacity to notice and recognizing that which is normal and that which is not, honor it and begin to see who it is you can trust for check-ins. And I can think about that. And I absolutely had faith and trust and confidence in my clinical skills provider. And now in the neighboring room, Right, one of the other clinical skills provider at the same time, right, Thursday afternoons, was Dr. Larry Yesar. Right. And if you don't have a context there, right, I encourage you to investigate and find out why, right? Trusted sources might be other than they seem. And not discrediting my peers and my classmates, it was presented, right, that this was a very reliable source of clinical skills development. And it's also quite possible, right, that you could learn to auscultate a heart from this person. And also, right, other pieces that are happening and that other behaviors and ways of being that you very much would not want to learn from this person. And so recognizing, right, that sources can be challenging and they can be confusing and they can look very much like a trusted and reliable resource. And it can turn out that they are not. And when that happens, what do you do with that information, And how can you glean from that those pieces, which were reliable, 
right? So it's possible that the baseline of clinical skills was accessible from that person. And it can also be true that many other ways of being for that person are not that which you would emulate, not that which you would protect or laud. And being able to grapple with that and recalibrate. Now, it doesn't mean, again, that you failed in that space to not see it. There are many things that are clouded from our view for lots of different reasons. But it does offer you the opportunity to say, okay, right now that I know, now that I have this awareness, now that I have this new reference point of what is normal and what is not, and seeing this here, how can I now recalibrate my whole knowing and existence to be able to identify that more effectively in the future? So check in on what fail can mean to you. I'll offer up a couple of definitions because why not? We've had our space with words here on the podcast in past experiences. I'll read a few here and see what speaks to you. To lose strength, to fade or die away, to stop functioning normally, to fall short, to be or become absent or inadequate, to be unsuccessful, to disappoint the expectations or trust of, to misperforming an expected service or function, to be deficient in, to leave undone. So thinking about this, and one that stands out to me is this to stop functioning normally. And the example underneath is the patient's heart failed. And we're talking about heart sounds here. So let's just pull that forward. To fail, right? to stop functioning normally. And even there, this play on words. So when you feel that you might have failed in your life, maybe you stopped functioning normally. And maybe that normal was no longer appropriate. And so we can look at that. And we can say, what was the true failure here? And maybe right, not being able to function normally here was what I needed to be able to see what was happening around me. And the normal that I was existing within, just as I gave that example of the clinical skills teacher in the room adjacent, you might think, you know what? That's not a space that I want to continue. So thank goodness I have stopped functioning normally in this environment because it is not a healthy environment any longer. And my body, my mind, my spirit, whatever it is that's calling to you and bringing you out of that is a beacon. And so while that stop functioning normally fail exists, it can actually be a grand success. Thinking about disappointing the expectations or trust of, and even here it says her friends failed her. Taking that one and we take that through the coaching lens and say, well, is that possible? Can you fail someone else? And we could look at responsibility and ownership and all of those pieces. And you might think too, can someone fail me? And what is my experience of that? And what is that actually requiring of me for that to exist? And know that we have an expectation and something is unmet and there can be this sense of failure that exists, but there's still a space within us where we can decide what that means. And so check in with how you engage with failure. Now, fear came up, and actually this was an alliterative experience when I was on the bike ride, and thinking about fear for a variety of reasons, and I share with you that I was on a road, right? and I think any time that you enter into a road bike experience, there is an opportunity for fear. The risk is real, right? I'm traveling next to vehicles uh, who are going 50 plus miles per hour, the shoulder is narrow, there can be a rock, like anything can happen. And that can be true in any moment. I saw an 
article recently of a runner who was killed stepping off the sidewalk, you know, and they were walking, completing their run, and a person hopped the curb. It was, you know, largely incidental, but still not a great situation all the way around. So there's risk everywhere. And noticing what fear can do, where fear is appropriate, where fear can be challenging, and what it's like to operate from a space of fear. And just like this sense of what is normal, if we're in it all the time, we might not even know, right? So if fear has been an operating feeling that you have had or that you're currently still having, right, you may not even know that you're there. So it may not even be something you can address because you don't see it. So checking in, and maybe you can go to a time when you felt acutely afraid, and that can sometimes cue us into how it shows up in our body. But if that exists over and over and over, we become conditioned to it. We're acclimated to this space of fear and the different neurotransmitters that are associated with that in our body, the hormonal experience of it, the physiologic response, so that our body doesn't even necessarily recognize it as fear. And the opportunity here is to check in and notice what it's like to operate from fear. And again, if there's an acute moment, there's a creature coming at you, (laughs) I have seemingly adapted some type of fear of birds, although it's getting better over time with some, you know, therapeutic conditioning for myself. But if a bird's flying at you, and we have the red-winged blackbirds right now who are nesting, and they will, they will come at you, they will attack you. And when you're on your bike, it can be quite frightening because they come towards your head and you're trying to stay afloat on the bike and you have an automatic response, right? So if the fear is big, the response is big. However, if there's this baseline, kind of this indolent fear that's always existing, you're doing similar things, right? So if you're having this acute fear and the bird flies at you, you kind of close in, shut down, you protect yourself, you get small, you move away, right? You remove yourself from the situation. And it's obvious that that's happening. And I think about this incident last year where one flew at my son when he was biking and could see it. And I didn't see the bird because they move so quickly, which is part of my fear responses. They're so fast and unpredictable. But I saw him veering, right, and ducking his head. And so you could see that acute and automatic response. And if that's happening on a more insidious level, where there's this threat or perceived threat that's happening, and you're experiencing fear, and notice how those are happening on a smaller scale, so much that you might not even be able to observe them, or someone outside of you might not be able to observe them. But you get smaller, you tuck in, you deviate away, you remove yourself from a situation. And that can be happening over and over and over again, so slyly, so subtly, that you don't even notice the impact and the effect of that in your life. And so check in. Are there spaces where you make yourself exceptionally small? Are there places that you avoid? Are there ways that you react and shut down? And I'm asking you to look for, yes, the big examples. Those can help to tune you in. But pan out. Take a broader vision and look for those examples in your life. And that might be happening and it could go unseen. And notice how this retraction is impacting your life and your existence and your relationships. So we'll offer up some definitions of fear here and see what resonates. An unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Anxious concern. Profound reverence and awe, especially toward God. Isn't that one interesting? We can come back there. Reason for alarm. To be afraid of or to have a reverential awe. To be apprehensive. So thinking about those, and isn't it interesting that we can have reverence in there? 
right? Fear, because it's such a big, daunting, all-powerful being, hmm, right? And is fear really what is intended? And if you're in a religious observational space and practice, is that really what was intended? Right? Is fear the operating emotion that's helpful there? Anxious concern. And notice this spectrum effect, right? So there can be degrees of fear that we experience. And anxious concern can have a role. An unpleasant, and notice it says, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. And notice the distinction there, anticipation of. So we may be experiencing fear for something that absolutely has not happened yet. But we have a frame of reference. Again, that comes up a lot for us. Or awareness of danger. So you might see it, right? So when there were cars on the road, I was aware of the potential danger. And so what are those benefits of fear? Well, it makes you more acutely aware, more thoughtful, more mindful where I ride on the road, listening in, right? Your senses are heightened so that you can make good choices there. And where can fear become limiting and problematic? If it shuts you down so much that you're no longer noticing and you continue to bicycle on the road, you may miss the signs and the cues and you might overreact, right? And you veer and you might end up toppling your bike because right, of this increased awareness of danger, so noticing how you can harness the capacity of fear, how you can think it, be grateful for it, and see that fear is bringing you into awareness. And notice we offer up from Shirzat Shamin and positive intelligence teaching that stress can't exist in the present moment. And we have all kinds of challenges to this statement. And taking this in considering, can fear exist in the present moment? And this is my postulation, literally in real time, <laughs> we're whirling these wheels in my brain where fear and stress can have some crossover and overlap. But what I notice as I contemplate this and consider it and cerebralize it, but also feel it in my body, fear often is right, of something that has gone wrong or of something that is going to happen. And the fear that is truly in the now if we allow it to exist there, and this could be challenged by my psychological ex experts in my life, the fear in the now might be that most appropriate fear. It might be the one that says, right, there's a bear right there. My friend noticed there's a bear in her neighborhood, and that's actually happening. And so you're probably not going to insert yourself between the mama and her cubs or be at the base of a tree if a cub has treated itself or bring trash out right to where they are, right? So fear in the now is informative and can help lead you to that space of productivity and maybe wisdom even from the fear. Thinking about the fear that looks forward or backward, right? That can be the paralytic and the limiting fear that prevents you from making progress. So checking in with where and how you engage with it. And as I love things in triplets and I said fear and failure, but the word flaw came in as well. And thinking about that in the context of these, what we would say is maybe negative words, right? Things to avoid, but embracing all the opportunities we have to learn. So if a flaw is a defect in physical structure or form or an imperfection or weakness, and especially one that detracts from the whole or hinders effectiveness. And that seems like a really big definition for a four letter word, an imperfection or weakness, and especially one that detracts from the whole or hinders effectiveness. And we think about flaws and we think about the 
problem it can make, right? a flaw in a diamond, and it can decrease the value, but it can also make it unique. Thinking about a flaw, I think about in wood grain, and sometimes you might see that in this pattern, right, is an identifying characteristic. And so it might be true, right, that it detracts from the whole in so much that it clearly sets itself apart as a unique aspect of something. And the idea that it's identifiable, does it have to be negating or even detracting? Can we challenge that definition? An imperfection or weakness. And notice how those might be informative, how they might be opportunities, how they might give us space for connection. And I think about an imperfection or a weakness needing bolstering. Right? So if there's a weak point in a table, let's say, right? you reinforce that area. So there's an opportunity for help to be offered and to have a role. So consider if there is an imperfection or a weakness, especially one <laughs> that detracts from your whole or hinders your effectiveness, what is it actually inviting in? And who might it be inviting in? In how might it be a space in a way for you to actually experience your wholeness in a different way? And how might it offer to you that you can be worthy and in need of support? Can both of those be true? So as you walk through fear and failure and flaws, notice what comes up for you. Do you think, no, thank you. I want to avoid them, get them away, get as far away as possible. Or can you turn toward them and say, well, wow, fear tells me that I'm aware, awake, alive, attuned to the world around me and taking care of myself in those who are in my charge. Failing, failure says, well, maybe there are other ways to do things. And perhaps there is help that I need. And challenging the normal, seeing the not normal, is a huge part of my work and my growth. And flaws offer to us a vision of our uniqueness and a perspective of what it looks like to be a recipient of care and support. That's where we are today, and it's far too sunny to continue sitting indoors, but I'm glad I had this moment with you here that we're bringing the podcast back into existence and seeing where each episode will take us. I honor the time that you spend here, that you invest in yourself, and I thank you for listening. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey with This Osteopathic Life.